0: Probably your life this morning. My daughter was trying to make an announcement, and she said, "I would like to offer everyone a vanilla milkshake at the end of the service." And I said, "That's interesting, darling." I said, "Where's the vanilla from?" She said, "I found it in the bathroom." (laughs) (laughs) So if she offers you one, kindly decline. I don't know what on earth she's thinking. So anyway, nice thought for you. we're going to have, this is like a really fascinating passage for us today. This is going to be amazing, in my humble opinion. Um, let's pray before we go any further. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart, every mind in this room this morning. May no one leave thinking, Where were you, God? Thank you, Lord, that you often don't speak in the, in the wind and the earthquakes and the great fires. You whisper because you want intimacy, because you are close. And I pray that we would be discerning in our spirits this morning for what you are trying to impart to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Because this would by nature be quite a a heavy passage, I'm starting off with some little jokes. So, I know, yes. Um, That might be fun, yeah, if you, well, if we put the first one on the screen. So these were lies parents admitted telling their children. So first one is, um, they don't sell replacement batteries for that toy. That was quite a good one. Next one. My father always said the animals on the side of the road were just taking a nap since the road was warm. I thought that was a good one. Next one. When we went to the store, my mum used to say, every time you touch something, a kitten dies. <laughs> That's quite good. I don't know, I'm going to start using that one. That, we'll see if that works. In fact, my wife did use, she said, she said actually, I, I didn't recognize the parallel. She said this morning to her, she said, you left the light on and therefore killed another polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably in the line category, isn't it? Okay, next one. If you eat enough vegetables, your body makes them taste like candy. I wish that were true. That would be so cool, wouldn't it? Um, I think there's one more. Yeah. Oh, oh we got our daughter to eat, eat fish by calling it Argentinian chicken. That worked for a long time until grandma came along and screwed it up. Thanks, grandma. I <laughs> think there's one more. Yeah. I was told that every person gets 10,000 words per month. if you reached the limit, you couldn't physically speak until the new month began. All my dad had to say was, careful, you're already at 9,000 words, and it would shut me right up. (laughs) I think we've probably all grown up with the kind of, you know, you hear these myths going around, think they're true until someone explodes it. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about truth versus lies. Secrets, lies, and deception. Jesus said, I think it's on the next passage, I think it's on the next page. Jesus said two things, almost um, one after the other. In John 8, he says, then you will know the truth, sorry, it's not on the screen, and the truth will set you free. So let's not underestimate the power of truth. Jesus is explaining, you will know the truth, And it is the truth that will set you free. In other words, if you want to know how to get free of anything, it will be the truth that will make you free. It won't be simply therapy. It won't be simply a psychologist or counseling. It will be the truth that will make you free. And then Jesus went a step further a few verses later to say, so if the son sets you free, you are free you know that one. That's good. So is this to say, you know, it's the truth that will set you free, and people are following up to that point. It says, and and if you know the sun, it, and if the sun sets you free, then you will be free indeed, because he is the truth. It's good, Dave. Well done, Dave. That's just epic. I feel already transformed. You see, to love the truth, you also need to hate lies. And the trouble for you and I in our world is we quite like lies. We like fiction. We don't like it, actually, when people tell the truth a lot of the time. I'm sure we all know someone that says, I, I will happily tell people what I think, or I'll give them a piece of my mind. Or I'll. But It's often those same people can't take it. They're happy to dish it out, but they often won't take it. Imagine you go to a a doctor who just loves people. And this is like your favorite doctor. And uh, they really like making people feel good. And every time you go see this doctor, they give you a sticker or a lollipop just for arriving. And um, they tell you, whatever problem you've got, you're going to be fine. Here's another sticker. Here's a lollipop. And then one day you go see another doctor and they tell you you've got cancer. You need some awful thing happened in your body that you need an operation for. And you're thinking, but my favorite lovely doctor just gave me lollipops and stickers. I used to run a recording studio years ago. And it was one of those dilemmas I used to have. is when you'd have a bad musician or singer come through the door and you're recording them. And they'd say, that you'd record a take of something. You'd, and they'd say, how was that? And you're like... What do I say? Do I lie? Do I say let's have another go at that? Do I? What do you do? It was always very difficult and nerve wracking, uh, especially when you realize this is not going to work. This is going to sound terrible. But in their heads, they sound great. And there's only so much you can do when you record someone to sort of tidy things up. What I'd like to do is read this passage. So if you have a Bible or electronically or a physical one, please to turn to 2 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2. I'm reading from verse 1 through to 12. <clears throat> this is where we've reached to in Second Thessalonians, and it says this. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Someone say amen to that. What What a brilliant passage. So I have split this talk into two parts. One is because uh, whenever you talk about these types of biblical events, it can get people nervous, they get worried, they don't want to hear it. Um, But also there is the difficulty of we're not sure when these events are going to happen. So it can end up thinking, did I even need to know that? Is this important for me today? So um, here Paul is speaking about a figure that is coming that will epitomize rebellion. I don't know about you, but whenever you talk about this stuff, people think we are on the cusp of it already. I don't think if I said to you, well, if we saw a number of events happen in the world, I don't think it would surprise most people to think, is this now the end? We look around us and say, it looks like we could be ripe for this stuff. But things according to this passage and to a number of others that Jesus talks about and John in John and Revelation appears to be a very dark climax to world history. And people who read the Bible have been looking at for this figure for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. I'll just give you three examples. The first one, um, I think, that was around about the time of Luther, but arguably before that as well, many people thought the Pope was the Antichrist. And they said, look, he likes being worshipped. He's given these great titles. He sets himself up in the church and he seems to want to be worshipped and obeyed. And um, people like Martin Luther said that here's the Antichrist, He's being revealed. Problem is, it doesn't actually match up with a lot of the passages that we have. It might match up to one or two if you kind of screwed a particular way. But another one was Hitler. People saw Hitler and thought this is the antichrist. Look, he's going to take over the whole world and he's like he's asking to be worshiped and followed and but he's come and gone. I've even heard people say Donald Trump, that must be the antichrist. And it's quite humorous now when you start looking for these figures thinking is that the one? Is this the one? Is It's as if people throw out the Bible and they just kind of go with their instincts. They think, oh, I feel like this one might be it. And all logic goes out of the window. But there are a number of clues, even in this passage and elsewhere, that I want you to note. Here is what the Antichrist will do. He will exalt himself over God. That will be one of the signs of someone coming that will say, I am God, or I'm at least in the place of God. Another clue we have here is he will set himself up where? In God's temple. Now, that's hugely debated what that might mean. But actually, Jesus uses the word temple in Matthew 24. There is an indication to a, a temple in Revelation. And in the book of Daniel, um, there is an idea of a temple as well. So it. Could be, and I say this non dogmatically because who am I? That many people think there is room for another temple still to be built in Jerusalem. There isn't one at the moment, and there's debate where that could go, but many people think another temple will be built. The Jews are desperate to build another temple, it's the political problems that are preventing it, really. But it could be that this is where another temple needs to be built, and therefore this person sets himself in that temple to proclaim that. He is now one to be exalted. But there are other things we're looking for with this figure. He displays signs and wonders. In other words, he does like miracles. He's performing things and people are going, wow, look, this guy can literally do miracles. So that's an incredible um, delusion and pointer for people to say, look at this guy, he should be worshipped. I think many would say that he brings some sort of peace to the world. People would be saying, wow, look! no one could bring peace except this person. They bring signs and wonders and they you have this unity that brings a peace to, a lot of people think, to the Middle East where there is constant conflict and wars. They think someone will come and, and bring a, a peace. But it will be a false peace under a false premise. Because it will turn very dark into worship and it will turn into where there will be false signs and wonders. And there will be where we have this wonderful idea of 666, mark of the beast, buying and selling. And it causes a great problem for Christians because they won't take this mark. And that's why it will be difficult. But how do you buy and sell and feed your family if you cannot take this particular mark? sign of 666 so lots of people have thought what is this 666 and they've tried to work it out and i would argue the great difficulty with that is it probably hasn't yet arrived so you can guess and is it credit card numbers and is it this uh, algorithm on the internet or whatever it is but i don't think it's yet arrived and so we don't know but it will be the sign of a man because the 666 is the sign of a man we read in revelation So those are some of the signs that we have. And that's why I can't speculate too much. Because I think when it happens, Christians will be like, I think this is it. It will be, to some degree, obvious to Christians. But for the rest of the world, we presume the majority of the world won't think that. They'll think this is a, a type of savior. I think the other issue will be and this is why I think what's quite interesting when we at world history is, uh, particularly Europeans and particularly Americans seem to think it will be in Europe and or the USA, which kind of makes sense if you're a European or an American. But I think it's very likely it will be in the Middle East, where a lot of these passages would make a lot more sense, especially when it heads down to where these events take place And it's brilliant, really. Um, A lot of films have been made and a lot of uh, literature has been put on this subject of Armageddon. Armageddon is a physical place. Um, Really, you can see it where Jesus grew up in Nazareth, um, Medigo. Armageddon um, is a huge kind of um, set of planes and there is a final battle taking place before Jesus comes back. What we read about it, though, is it's not really even a battle. People sort of think it's like this incredibly clash of light and dark and, and all of that. But really, all it is is Jesus comes back. Literally, by the word of his mouth and by the splendor of his appearing, all of the enemies are defeated. So There's not really a battle or a war. It's just this like moment really in history. Where this great event happens and takes place, now a lot of that is mentioned in this passage, and the first question should be, why do we need to know that? Why was it important for Paul to write to this church? And one of the problems we read in this passage is people had spread rumors to say it's already come I've certainly come to this problem over the years is people telling me. <coughs> the Antichrist has already come. They go, oh goodness, is that it? What are we waiting for then? And thinking Jesus might come back at any moment, thinking, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And that creates their own set of problems, thinking it could be literally any moment and getting people to sort of think, what's the next event we're waiting for? And that was the problem that's happening in this, in this church. And Paul was saying to them, don't listen. Here are the signs you should be looking for. And I don't think we have yet encountered those particular signs Paul is talking about. Let me go on, though, to another subject linked with all of this. Let me go on to the, this slide. Okay. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Who in that passage? Sends the great delusion without looking at it. Not that passage on the screen, the one we read in 2 Thessalonians. Who sent the great delusion? God did. Isn't that weird? God sends a great delusion that people would believe the lie that are perishing. God sends the delusion that people would believe the lie. Who? Those that are perishing. And I've been, I, go, I read through the Bible every year, and at the moment I'm reading the message version of it. And I was really struck as I was reading through Exodus a while ago how people think, because God did say it to Moses, he said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So that basically all the plays can take place, all the signs and wonders, that it will really reinforce God is miraculous. He's doing this incredible story and narrative for Israel to be set free. That All of these things would culminate in understanding what the freedom really meant. But when you read the story, what is fascinating is... um, only three times out of the ten plagues, out of the times where Pharaoh has a hard heart, only three of those times does God say, "I um, got." It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The other times, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And you may say, "Why are you talking about this?" Here is why. One of the weird things about God, Satan, demons, our flesh, is how much it kind of works interchangeably. The devil has been tempting people with lies for thousands of years. You might say he's an expert at it. And you might say, how does Satan work in your life and in my life? Because he's very good at it because he's done it for so long. But what he does, I think according to the scriptures, and I think I would very, uh, find this very easy to back up, is how he takes something we already have a propensity towards, and then he comes along and he magnifies that. So Satan comes along and he, whatever the temptation that we're susceptible to, he comes along and he exaggerates it or makes it worse or presents the temptation because he knows how we're wired. And likewise, God, as we read in this passage, there was a lie that is, that is coming at the end times. And we're thinking, how could the world really be led astray? But what we read about it is, God sends a great delusion that people will believe the lie. Those that are perishing, those that are not saved, those will be the people who will believe this lie. It will make sense to them. Are we following so far? Now, we don't know when the events of the Antichrist will be coming. It may be sooner rather than later. And I, and I think that's the right way to be living as a Christian. We don't know. We don't live with this. Is it now? Is it now? Is it? We just live thinking it may happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in my lifetime. But what we can extrapolate from this passage, I think, is in order to be a good gardener, you can't just love flowers. You have to hate weeds. You can't just like the good things of life. You also have to hate the bad things of life. If you're going to protect something. So let me talk about truth and lies for a moment. I've written down a number of common lies people believe. You see, you may not realize it, but you are an expert in deception. As am I, I might add. We're an expert at these things. We're very good at lying to others, and we're also very good at deceiving ourselves. And if you're thinking that's not true, well, I will do my best to convince you. Pretty much all advertising is deception. Pretty much all of it is deception to some. I mean, if you've ever been to McDonald's and you've had a burger that looks like the burger on TV, well done. I've never had one of those. It looks like a sloppy it uh, looks terrible. You look at it on TV and I know they do all these little tricks to make it look completely different than it actually looks. But you see we give in to it. We think well I really want that thing knowing it's nothing like that thing. We believe the lie. Everything around us lies to us. But we pride ourselves on being able to see through it. But we end up lying to others, lying to ourselves, and believing the lie. Because what almost all advertising does is it tries to sell us satisfaction. That's really what all advertising is trying to do. It sells you an idea that you will be satisfied with the product that they are selling. Hoping we don't have anyone who works in uh, advertising here. You might feel a little bit down after this sermon. Most addictions stem from a, a deception of who we are in Christ. Basically, every human being has a number of the same needs. You are not special. You are not unique in this regard. Everyone has these same set of needs. You want to be loved. Raise your hand if you want to be loved. Some of you not that bothered, Wonderful. Okay. You need to be accepted. Raise your hand if you want to be accepted. Most of you, okay? Not all of you. And we need to be affirmed. Who wants to be affirmed here this morning? Because you look beautiful, you look handsome, you're just wonderful. I'm affirming you, you see, meeting that need. But you're seeing the deception of it. Thinking, What's going on? Flattery. Because why do we need all of those things? And you see, In Christ, Christ perfectly represented the father and only in the father's love are all of those things made new in you. And so we go through every other addiction trying to get it another way because it's a deception. But you can only be totally loved perfectly in God. Cannot get it through another human being. It's impossible. You'll be disappointed. You'll be let down. You'll have good days, bad days. They will leave you. They'll disappoint. They will betray you. But God will never let you down. One of the incredible things that um, when you read about adoption and you read about what orphans have to go through is when they meet God for the first time and discover that he is the perfect father. Can you see how their world is crumbled with that thought? They've never known that. They've only known absent fathers, ones that are not interested in them. When they hear about a God, and and, and I've I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of people in this that were orphans. And uh, people that have grown up without fathers around. And talking to them about this, it's like the hard subject of God is your father. And it's like, I don't know what that means. How can God be a father? But you see, in Christ, we have God's perfect love, perfect acceptance, and perfect affirmation. And you see how every addiction feeds into this because, you see, it's all about love and acceptance and affirmation. Let me think of it this way. People go through life thinking, if I just had that, whatever that thing is, and everyone's got a, a different set of, what that thing might be that you're chasing maybe even today. If I just had that, I would be fulfilled, I'd be loved, I'd feel accepted, I'd be satisfied. You know, a number of unmarried people have this view that if I just get married, then I wouldn't be lonely. But I'm telling you as someone who has now counseled hundreds of couples in this regard, let me tell you, some of the loneliest people on on this planet are married. Because it's far deeper than you can possibly imagine these purposes and heart needs that we have. And some of the least loneliest people on the planet are not married. Isn't that an irony? I used to work with a monk and he was just the, the best, one of the incredible guys I've ever met. There was not one iota you know, whenever he talked about being married and missing out, he just laughed. It had, he just felt, he just loved God. He knew God. He knew God. And, you know, when you give yourself up to God, it's funny how all of those, like, some of the, just so much of that, those needs that we crave from other human beings goes. So many people say, if I had more money, I would be happy. But I tell you, go find the richest person you can go find. Almost always they are after more still. They want more money. And the irony is often the person who has the least, you say, how do you get by? You know. And if you don't believe me, you know, go out to some of these really poor places in the planet, out in India and Pakistan and Africa and South America. Go find people that are poor and you will discover a lot of them, especially when they know Jesus, they're just content, they're happy, they don't, they're not even interested in your wealth. You're saying, can I get you this? And they're not, I just don't need it. I literally have no interest in it. You can take it back. And I, I, some of you might have watched that documentary on TV where they built, we watched it, where they built a house in the middle of an African village. Three-bed house. And they said, do you want to keep this house? And they said, we have no interest in that house. We'll live in our mud huts, thank you very much. I thought, what? Are these people crazy? I didn't want it. I didn't want the wealth. Here are some lies. Someone in this room will say, that's the lie I tell myself. People will say, and this is why we lie to ourselves. These are the types of things we say to ourselves. We say, I'm not loved. You know, most human beings go around with that at some point in their head, at some point in their lives. Maybe continue, I'm not going to repeat. I'm not loved. I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm not good enough to be loved. If people knew what I was really like, then they wouldn't love me. If my partner knew what I was really like, really thinking, they wouldn't love me. There is no way God could love me because he sees everything. It's a lie. We choose to believe it. And you think, why are we literally insane that we would choose to believe lies that hurt us? We are. We are literally insane. Turn to your neighbor. No, don't turn to your neighbor and say that. That would be a bad idea. <laughs> Here's another lie. We say no one would accept me. No one accepts me. People say there is no way out of this mess. There is no way out of this darkness. Um, the lady that committed suicide yesterday, I, forgive me, I don't even remember her name. i would never heard of her in my life. I've never watched Love Island. There we go. Caroline Flack. I am guarantee she was telling herself a load of lies. For someone to say I'm taking my life, they have to believe lies. Is anyone with me on this so far? Is anyone don't even have to reply to this, but is anyone thinking these are some of my lies that I'm saying? People say this, why is everyone so happy except me? It's a lie. You know, if you're thinking, if you, you know, if you're someone who loves social media or you look around, you walk around town, everyone looks so happy and you feel so sad and you're thinking, it's a lie, it's a facade, it's not real. It's because we are humans and humans lie to themselves. The incredible story with the Exodus story, if you were to keep on reading it, um, I'm at the moment in Numbers. So what they say, they have been scouting out the promised land. It is flowing with milk and honey, enormous grapes, and the land is amazing. They say, this is amazing. And do you know what they say? There's 12 scouts. can't do 12. I haven't got 12 fingers. 12 scouts. Only two of them say, we can go and take this. We can make this happen. The other 10, they spread rumors. They said, we can't do it. They're too big. We'll never win. And then they say, it would be better if we go back to Egypt. Do you know what happened in Egypt? If you don't know, let me tell you. They were slaves. Not just like servants in a house. They were slave laborers. It was worse than that, though, because they tried to kill all of the male babies. Throw them in the Nile, and they were like, "Let's go back to that, to that slavery where they killed all of our babies. Let's do that. That sounds like a good idea." Can you see the lie that they were believing? They were so ingrained in their minds. They, as it were, would rather live with the deception in slavery than rather the promised land that was right ahead of them. They had seen God do not one or two miracles. But dozen, dozens by this stage. God had just done so much around them. And they literally had God present with them all the time. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud all the time. They'd heard his voice as a whole community. They'd seen the waves, the Red Sea parted. They'd seen the plagues. They had been spared. And they said, Mm-mm, we can't take on these giants. Isn't that insane? I mean, we can read that story now, look back and see it's insane. Can we see ourselves in that story and realize we're just as insane to believe the lies going on in our heads? This is good, Dave. Like I'm preaching. Did I say that loud? Okay. And, you know, it's not like they have daily reminders of God's provision. Every morning they're going out and what's happened is that there is something called manna, which literally means, what is it? And it is laying on top of the dew. There is like, it's like sesame. It's like um, uh, wafers of honey, it says. And what they would do is they'd they'd collect it all up, knead it into like little buns and cakes things and eat it. This was miraculous. And they still said, we don't trust God ultimately. We'd rather be a slave in Egypt. Insanity. I don't think I've got the last bit on the, what's the, is that the last one? Fantastic. Okay. We can switch that off for a moment. Thank you. We're going to land with this. Okay. So um, I would love to give you some pointers. How do you apply? Now, if you're someone that identifies with some things I've said this morning, you know, we read about this man of lawlessness and this great deception that is coming. And on the other hand, I want you to realize how we all live with a set of lies, And. It's why reading the Bible is so critical, because it helps you realize what is true and what is a lie, because if you go around your life not reading the Bible, not spending time with God, you will just be living with lies all the time. You have to counter that with God's truth, because that is true. And then knowing Jesus and it's the truth that will set you free from the lies. Here's three things, because every sermon has to have three points, right? So here are the three points I want to make. I've done this before where I printed out a load of verses. If this was your struggle, here is a verse to counter that. I'm not going to do that this morning. The reason is because I'm not sure how helpful that is. What it tends to do is take away all the work from you. So here's what I'd like you to do. If there is an area you know you have a struggle with, that as I've been speaking, you're like, I don't feel loved. I don't feel accepted. I don't feel chosen. I don't know if God can handle all my problems. I feel so lonely. I feel so troubled. I've got these addictions. I've got these hang-ups. You know, the best thing you can do is go to the Bible today and go, you know, you can go on Google. I don't care how you do it. You go and find a verse that is the truth and not the lie you are listening to. I'm not going to give you them because here's what will happen. If you go find it, you're going to own it. It'll be much more powerful. If you're like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to go home today. I'm going to get a Bible. Go on the internet. Okay, how you do it. And you're going to find something that's like, what does the Bible say about? Maybe that could be your sentence to What does the Bible say about being loved or something? And you'll find some verses and you'll be like, that one clicks with me. One of the verses that has helped me over the years is. That I've heard other people in the, in the room have shared that it's their life verse as well, but it's in um, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And it's all about, you see, whenever you feel, you know, and it's something I've experienced lots of time in my life, feeling worried or feeling afraid, feeling discouraged. And the word to Joshua is, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because I am with you. And I tell you, just knowing that God is with me is often enough. You see, that's a verse for me, and that might not speak anything to you. And that's fine. Go find a verse that really speaks to you. They're like, oh, I didn't know that was even in the Bible. That is just what I need to hear. And you will find verses like that when you build your life, you meditate on it, it. You are able to recite it perfectly. That is, you see, truth setting you free. It becomes a revelation. Oh, I get it. Number one, go find a Bible verse that speaks to your area of weakness. Number two, everyone needs a Barnabas. Now, if you're like, who's Barnabas? Um, Barnabas was the character who followed Paul around for a while on his journeys. And he was known as son of encouragement. And Paul looked for Barnabas when he needed encouragement. Think of this mighty man of God. Needing someone he could turn to to encourage him. You need need someone in your life who can encourage you it is why we have church why you cannot be a christian on your own thinking i'll just do it on my own i'll just do it in privacy i'll have some cds i'll watch a youtube channel on something because you need a barnabas you need someone who encourages you by speaking listen not just like a friend who just like laments with you or just has sympathy for you. Not just someone who just says, oh, poor you every time you go through something hard. You need someone who's willing to say, I'm really sorry for how you feel, but that's a lie you're listening to. That's the type of person you need. Not someone who just agrees with you. Someone who says, I see you having a bad day. Let me tell you what the reality is. And I have a number of those people in my life, a, lot, a number of Barnabas. Some of us, like myself, need a lot of support. You know, a lot of Barnabases around us to encourage us to say, yeah, come on, we can take it. We all need a Barnabas. And, you know, last week we talked about small groups and just the importance of being in community with one another. I cannot emphasize that enough. You need people. I know you probably don't like that thought. You need people. You do need people. You need Barnabases. Number three, this is my last point. Habits. Build a life. When you piece together your routines and your habits, this shows me what kind of life you have. So, for example, I'll exaggerate it for a moment. I honestly think one of the great evils, especially for men in our country, is unemployment. It's an incredible scourge when people don't have any purpose in life. They wake up, they might even have energy and they want to do things, but there's nothing for them to do. That's actually really dangerous. I'm not saying everyone needs a job, I'm just saying everyone needs a purpose. Okay, so if you're like, oh, I don't have a job, I'm not saying that, saying you need a purpose. Because a lot of people go around and they have no purpose. That is a terrible place to be in. And you know, you need to wake up And, you know, you wake up, and it's like 11.30 in the morning. And you go to the fridge, and you open the fridge. There's some leftover pizza, takeaway pizza. Chew it down. Switch on. I don't know what's on at that time of the morning. Jerry Springer, showing my age a bit. Jerry Springer's on. You think, oh, watch, this This is hilarious. People worse than me, right? People worse than this pizza-eating guy waking up at 11.30. And you watch this stuff all day long and then you get to the evening and you're like, right, I feel awake now. So you go out and go and get drunk. Come home, feel depressed. What's the point of my life? you see the habits of really build up what your life is like. Compare that to someone who wakes up, wakes up at six o'clock in the morning because they're ready to get going because they've got purpose. They wake up, right, gonna hit the gym. I'm gonna go out for a walk, I'm going to have a healthy breakfast, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have a quiet time, and then I'm going to do this, and then i will going get to work, and then I'm going to go to college, and, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to make sure I make time for this. That person is filled with purpose. And you see, the person that is, has no purpose with their life, here's what happens, is they start listening to the lies in their head. I feel love. What's my purpose? Life is meaningless. What can I do to fill the next hour of my life up with? But the person who's got purpose wakes up and they're ready to go. They may feel tired, but they're like, they're still energized by the day. Let me encourage you with this. You know, Don't go home and start writing. Right, Imagine you're someone who doesn't have a lot on and you're like, right, I'm going to write it out, a plan. I'm going to fill every hour with this, that, and the other. Just make baby steps. Add one new thing to your routine. You want to get in shape. You want to change your diet. I tell you, those things affect you spiritually as well. It's funny how all these things are interconnected. If you don't have a quiet time, make sure you put in a quiet time. Maybe the same time every day. You open your Bible and you just read one chapter. Lord, speak to me in this passage. You read read that passage and you think, okay, that was interesting. Next day you do it and you're starting to build habits. And habits will change your life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word that speaks into our darkness. Thank you that you speak what is true. And I pray, Lord, whatever I've said this morning, if what I've said, you know, there have been bits that are not true, may you erase it from our memories. That would be a lovely little thing for you to do. And what is true would stick. I pray for these dear church, that, Lord, they would go home today and for those that... It's touched on an area where they feel that that really spoke to me. That They'd go home, and most importantly, they would do it. They would do something. I know how important that is, that when we hear something, not to just go away and think, oh, it was a good message, and when then we do nothing about it. That was almost pointless even being here. But, Lord, it's important that we go and apply what we've heard. We go put it into action. We go and do something about it, and it's that what brings the change. Thank you, Lord, that... Yeah, I really think you are excited when people say, I want to live in truth. You're excited when people say, I want my life to have purpose. Excited when people say, I'm going to stop living with all of these lies in my head. I'm going to find a Barnabas. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. I pray for those in this room this morning that have never known the Father's love or maybe they just walked away and thinking about it again. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, reveal how much you love us. I pray for, Lord, those feeling ill-affirmed, affirmed for the wrong things, affirmed for how well they do a job or something or how well they look or how well they do something. We, we pray that there will be a revelation of how affirming you are. We've not even done anything. It's crazy to think that you would die for us even while we were your enemies. What a starting place that the Father loves us. Why? Not because we are lovely. He loves us because he chose to love us. Think about, Lord, being accepted, and we, we try so hard to wear the right clothes and say the right things and be in the right places, and you said, you're accepted in me. I pray that is a revelation for some this morning. They're, they're striving for something they already have. There's an irony. And, Lord, some of these are really deep-seated soul issues that have been going on for decades in people's lives. I pray that today would be the day that they choose to break it and they would go home, find a Bible verse, find a Barnabas and they would bring in some new habits and new teens in their life and they will know that they are heading towards a changed life. In Jesus' name we prayed. amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope that's been useful to some regard. Um, Really happy to pray with people at the end. Otherwise, have a great day. Get to know someone. And we have leftover breakfast for you to eat if you're in the mood. God bless you. Thank you.